You are listening to the In Focus Church podcast. We believe God is going to meet you right where you are today as you listen and dig into His Word. family lived in a cul-de-sac in, uh, in this town, and we had neighbors, and, and I was thinking this week about all the neighbors that I had, and, and I remember all of their names, and this has been a long time now because I'm not all that young anymore, but I remember all their names. I remember where they lived, Mr. Longshore, Mr. Robluski, Mr. Ott, and then the Wallers lived over here, and uh, the Chans, I think, lived over here. And then, but then there was, a, there was a house at the top of the cul-de-sac, and I don't remember their name. I hardly remember that if there were people there, because all I remember are their dogs. Like, they had these two Doberman pinchers that were in the backyard, and they were fierce. Like, and at least to me, in my little mind, and my little body, and walking around the neighborhood, those dogs were terrifying. And there was a little cut through that, that went by their fence at the top of the cul-de-sac that got us over into the other street where we had some friends that we would play with. But every time we would run by that fenced area of our neighbors that I don't remember their name, but I do remember their dogs, uh, that, uh, that their dogs would just go nuts and they would charge the fence and they're, rah, rah, they're barking and we're just tearing through there as fast as we can. There was a fence there, but it just was deep down inside. You weren't quite sure if that fence was always going to hold. You never think about the advice that we get and how foolish it seems to us because the advice we're given as it relates to any kind of wild animal is, you know, be still. Don't move. And like your body's saying, what are you doing? Run as fast as you can. And it's the same way even with a domesticated dog that is strange to you. It's like your first inclination is to run from that dog. Even with something like that, wisdom says, don't run from them. Just stand there and just allow them to get used to you, and then you can just walk alongside them. That's what wisdom would tell us to do. It's not what my brain says to do. Just a little wisdom to start off your morning as it relates to your neighborhood animals. And if any of you, as a side note, are ever on the neighborhood watch, that's all we ever hear about. I saw a stray dog somewhere. Anybody know who dog this is? Neighborhood alert. Okay, that's just my problem with neighborhood alert, I guess. All right, so anybody know what snake this is? All right, stop, stop right now, stop right now. Speaking of instruction, we're talking about wisdom, and wisdom is the topic of this entire series. I've said uh, from the very beginning, my hope's desire and strong hope for us as a church is that we would walk in the wisdom of God, and not so much because there was something that I was thinking about as it related to the subject of wisdom. It was just that in my purvey of my eyes and what I see in the news and what I see around me and what not just I see out there, but that I see at the churches, there is a lot of foolishness 
weakness that, that we're operating in. And, and I am deeply concerned about the church because that is the role that we should have as Christians. And for me as a leader, as a pastor, I'm deeply concerned about the bride of Christ, the church, but most specifically in focus, this local expression of the body of Christ. What do we look like as it relates to being wise in an age of foolishness? Where's the wisdom? Folly, fanatics, and fools. The series we're in, this is week four, and we've covered the difference so far between godly wisdom, which leads to righteousness and peace, and then earthly wisdom, which leads to strife and division and destruction. We've talked about the wisdom of generosity, that what you keep is all you have, but what you give, God can multiply. And then last week, we looked at the wisdom of teachability, that we would be those that would walk with the wise, that we would be those that are willing to listen and learn and apply godly instruction, that we would have the wisdom of teachability. And speaking of teachability, you know what proves that you have a teachable spirit the most? Conflict. If you want to know whether or not you have a teachable spirit, then let's just interject a little bit of conflict into your relationship or conflict into your church or your situation, wherever it might be, whether or not I'm going to be teachable. Nothing brings out the real us like conflict. Conflict, correction, and accountability are like what? They're like the pop quiz test and final exam of teachability and biblical wisdom. Teachability should be the overarching attitude of someone who is walking in godly wisdom. Should be the overarching attitude of any of us as we approach God's word. It should be the foundational posture that we have while reading specifically what we're talking about, the book of Proverbs. We're unable to be wise without the wisdom of God's word, without reading it, without hearing it, without listening and seeing the wisdom of God in his word, the Bible. It is paramount to being wise, which is paramount to being righteous wisdom and righteousness go hand in hand so if i'm going to walk in wisdom if i'm going to walk in righteousness it's going to be through listening reading meditating and applying the word of god to my life specifically we're talking about the book of proverbs which is what a book of wisdom it's known as wisdom literature along with a few other books in the old testament but proverbs is a book of wisdom and how we apply this book within the book really matters. It matters that we would spend time reading this book and applying daily practical wisdom to our lives given to us by the God of the universe. I mean, that's mind-boggling in and of itself. Here's some practical wisdom as it relates to your relationships and how you respond and what you say and what you don't say and what you do and what you don't do. And the prerequisite for receiving this instruction from Proverbs is a spirit of teachability that I could be teachable. The wise are teachable. If you want to be wise, then you better be teachable. Teachability is necessary to become wise. And as we read, as we hear with what we see, we hear with our eyes through God's word, we become responsible to respond. Here's how I would say that. We are both responsible to read and respond to God's word, the Bible. We don't just read it. We don't just memorize it. We don't just quote it. We don't just sing it, we respond to it in our lives. Amen. If you're like me, there are certainly times that I wanted to plead ignorance in a lot of things in life, right? Like, don't tell me because if I know, then I'm going to be responsible for knowing that information. So just don't tell me. I don't want to know. I want plausible deniability. That's what I want. 
Like, don't tell me how many calories are in that donut because then I'm going to be responsible when I eat that donut for how many calories I'm putting in my body. Don't tell me that there's a sign that says that I shouldn't cut through this parking lot to get through this parking lot because it's not a cut through. Because then I'll be responsible to not cut through here anymore to get to church on my way through Lowe's. (laughs) Now, you are responsible for what you know, which is there's a sign that says, no through traffic. So if you want to get here on time, then leave a little bit earlier, don't cut through Lowe's. And go sit at that light that you know you don't want to sit at, that takes too long, that didn't turn left, and then sit at another light that takes too long that you don't want to sit at, to then turn left. I get it. And here's how I circumnavigate this and tell myself that it's okay. Here's where I give myself plausible deniability. Well, let me go see what they've got out front today. Let me see if there's any lawn tractors that I might want to buy. Any plants that Carla might need for the front of the house. Nope, I better get on to the church. Every time I think that it helps my conscience. Lord, I don't want to know. That's how we approach the Bible. And so when we don't read our Bibles, when we don't spend time in God's Word, when we don't meditate on the Word of God, that's exactly what we're saying to God. Listen, I'd rather be ignorant of your wisdom and your Word so I'm not responsible to respond to it. Or the phrase we used last week, I've got this. I'm good, God. Just, I got what I need. Today, I want to zero in on Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7. So if you have your Bible, you could turn with me to Proverbs chapter 1. I will be moving around a little bit, but you can just be there in Proverbs and think about how maybe you can add this to your reading this week and dig into the Word of God this way. We'll jump off from Proverbs 1, 7 and talk about this subject. And I do want to say up front that no matter what analogy, no matter what metaphor or comparison, because that's what we use as communicators, as preachers of the Word, that's what Jesus did. We'll give metaphors like the dog in my neighborhood, but no matter what metaphor, metaphor or comparison I will use today concerning this subject, it's going to fall short because of the paradoxical and divine nature of the subject. It's a high and lofty thing that's really above what my finite mind can grasp. The title of today's message is The Wisdom of Fear. And I want to talk about the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord. Proverbs 1-7 says this, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. Then if we skip up to Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10, watch this, it's an echo, if you will. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. So as we see, continuing to use Proverbs as our guide, we need to notice that these two verses, which serve as the foundations and the context for how the rest of the book of Proverbs should be read, understood, and applied by those who read it, is what we're digging into, right? Because information without application, like we said last week, leads to a hardened heart, not a teachable heart. The more I hear, the more I'm responsible for, and the more I don't respond in application with, the more hard my heart becomes, the more depraved my mind becomes, the more unrenewed my spirit comes when I don't apply and respond and listen, not just listening, but do what God's Word says. I'm teachable, and teachable means that I listen and I apply. 
And Proverbs is clearly giving us the choice between two paths. That's what the book of Proverbs does. It says, here's the path of righteousness, wisdom, following God. And here's the other path, because you've only got two in life. There's not a middle path. There's either following God through wisdom and righteousness or following your own self and your own decisions. And that will lead to a lot of things that aren't very good. Proverbs is giving us the choice between these two different paths. And these, these paths throughout Proverbs has this extremely contrasting difference, like I said. The description of these contrasting paths are the makeup of the first nine chapters of the book of Proverbs. So as you begin to read that, maybe that's, as I said, I'll read a, a chapter a day. So for the next nine days, you can see the contrast between living in godly wisdom and living in your own wisdom. A path of wisdom following God and a path of foolishness not following God. And these two verses that I just read in Proverbs 1 and Proverbs 9 are two bookends of these chapters, if you will, that are emphasizing the importance of the fear of the Lord as a core teaching of Proverbs and a prerequisite for wisdom. The, begin, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And then it goes through all these things of what it looks like to fear the Lord and to choose his way or to not choose his way. And then it bookends it in chapter 9 saying it again. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom mainly what we have to recognize is the fear of the Lord is at the heart of walking in wisdom and this is why we would want to apply it to our daily lives and as I said this is a difficult concept to grasp but let's ask the Holy Spirit even now to illuminate and speak to us through his word so that we can have the understanding of God when it relates to this character of God that is important Back to our passages in Proverbs. Initially, you may notice the capitalization of the word Lord. So if we put the, one of these scriptures back up there, you can see this capital L-O-R-D. And maybe you thought, well, that must have been a typo. I don't, I don't understand. Proverbs 9.10, the fear of the capital L-O-R-D. Well, it's in our English translation that that means what, what it meant in Hebrew is Yahweh. So whenever you see the capital L-O-R-D, that's what they're saying, that, that Yahweh this God of Israel, it's a very personal name of God. It's a very intimate name of God. And it's emphasizing the need we have to heed the instruction of the Lord. The need to heed. Every time I hear that, I just think of Top Gun. I feel the need to heed, not speed. Since it's coming back out, I think now with the, a, a reworking of it again, makes you feel old when they're rebooting the movies that you grew up on. But this is the need that we have to heed God's instruction above all other instruction, above all the instruction of all the little G-gods that are clamoring in our ears and in our hearts. And for us today, we need to make sure that we don't place any other wisdom above that of the L-O-R-D, Yahweh, our intimate Father and God. And if we're honest, we place plenty of other wisdom above God almost every day, mainly our own. It's just not we think of little G gods as like some graven image or some little idol somewhere. And well, I don't do that, but I am going to do this because I want to. And really the king of our lives is King me. That's the one that I'm fighting against the most. That's the God that I'm fighting the wisdom of the most, doing what I want to do. And then also, if we'll take this a little bit further, we do listen to the wisdom of others, right? We read a book or, or we hear a podcast or we, or we listen to something and it's not necessarily, I don't know if it lines up with the word of God or not. I'm just listening and I'm, oh, they sound like they know what they're talking about or that bastion of wisdom, Facebook, and I pull something off of that. I'm like, well, that's what it said. That's what they said. 
Did you know listening to others without verifying its veracity or truthfulness will get you into a whole lot of trouble? And that's why Proverbs says, listen to the wisdom of the Lord. I mean, you can find wisdom, yes, and hopefully the pastor and hopefully some leaders that, that love Jesus around you and the community and the body of Christ will bring you wisdom from the Lord through the word. That's where the wisdom comes from. This is what Proverbs 2 says. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. That's why all of my knowledge and all of my understanding and all of my wisdom pales. It's a little G in my life compared to the awesome God who all wisdom and knowledge and understanding come from. And so the acquisition of true knowledge and godly wisdom are intrinsically linked. They're inseparably linked to our relationship with the Lord, our intimate relationship with Yahweh, God, meaning the only way that we're going to walk in wisdom is when we decide to respond obediently to the word of the Lord. The only way that we're going to walk in wisdom is when we say yes to God in his word. Yes, God, I'm listening. Teach me. Yes, God, I want to obey your word. Yes, God, I want to walk in your ways. Yes, God, give me grace to bring glory to your name. That those who fear the Lord would venerate, revere, and worship him and his wisdom above all other instruction that we could receive. That we would become known as the people who say yes to the Lord more than the people that say no to whatever else we could say no to. Isn't that how it is a lot of times? It's like we boil, we boil Christianity and church and, and our relationship with God with all the stuff that we have to say no to. And yet everything started when you said yes to Jesus. It wasn't me saying no to this. It was saying yes to Jesus, which subsequently meant no to my old life. But it was yes to Jesus first. And then we walk this out as it relates to wisdom. We move on from that faith journey of saying yes to the Lord to walking down a path of discipleship and starting down the path of wisdom by saying yes to the Lord's instruction. Then we continue down that path of wisdom to acquire wisdom by saying to the, yes to the Lord every single day. And then we're not only acquiring wisdom, but we're becoming more and more wise by continually saying yes to the Lord perpetually every day for the rest of our lives. It's yes to you and a yes to God. Yes is a no to other things that are meant to harm you. But it's more about the yes than it is the no. So why don't we say yes all the time? Two reasons. Because we don't fear the Lord. And then secondly, obvious, is it's just easier to say no. It's easier to say no in this life. I mean, it is the easiest response that I can give my kids. Dad, can I have this? No. Dad, can I do this? No. Dad, what about? No, no, maybe, no, maybe. It's like, and we'll talk about it sometimes. I give me a, I need to find something to say yes to because they need to hear me say yes. Parents, you know this, K-N-O-W, you didn't have to teach your child how to say no. That's what they intrinsically already understood that you would tell them to do something or ask them to eat something or try to get them to go to bed or to go do something and the words that came out of their mouth, even if they really wanted to deep down inside because it's our natural bent to rebel is to say, no. And what did you have to teach them to say? Yes. It is not a word that comes out of our mouths naturally. 
And yet it's a word that must come out of our mouths as it relates to our Lord and our relationship with him so that we can walk in wisdom. And as parents, we have to intentionally spend time reassuring our children that the instruction that we're giving to them is meant to help them because we love them and not to default to telling us no, but learning to listen to our loving no's and saying yes to us as their parents. Did you hear what I said? Yes. I mean, the reality is, is when we, when we give instruction most of the time, and then we're talking about God, who all of the time when he gives instruction, it is for our protection, it is for our safety, it is for our benefit. Here's what I don't want you to do. I don't want you to go play in the street. Do you understand? Yes. I'm serious now. This isn't a joke. In the same way, Proverbs conveys wisdom by using this parent-child comparison. If you read through the book of Proverbs, you'll see this again and again, like a father and like a mother. Right after the fear of the Lord verse that we just read in Proverbs 1.7, we see Proverbs 1.8, and it says this, listen, my son, to your father's instruction and do not forsake your mother's teaching. And this type of parental training is seen throughout the book of Proverbs. It's a literary device that's trying to help us understand and communicate a very important theme that this book of the Bible is trying to get across. A very important theme that God is trying to show us, knowledge he's trying to give us. That theme is this, learning to say yes to the Lord is tied to fearing the Lord and walking in obedience to his instruction. I'm going to say yes to the Lord, and that's tied to fearing the Lord, and that is going to help me walk in obedience to his instruction, because here's what I fear more. I fear not walking with God. I fear the consequences of being disobedient to God. Not from him, but from what that will bring. Learn to be known for your yes to the Lord. I think we have a harder time saying yes to God when it comes to wise choices in these daily decisions in our lives because we just don't know how to fear the Lord. We don't understand. Like I said, it's hard for us to, to make this congruent with what we believe God to be, that the, that the fear of the Lord should affect our relationship to God. As we just sang a moment ago, that he's holy and that should affect how we approach him. Reverence and awe is a part of it, but that it's, that there's this, this awesomeness to him, this, this almost terrifyingness to who he is and the immensity of who he is as God. And it affects how we respond to him as Lord. It affects how we re respond to and battle sin in our life. Is sin serious or not? It's, is God looking as a loving parent going, this is serious, now listen to me. And it affects how we respond. Because if sin's not a big deal, then... <laughs> I'll just appeal to the grace and the love of God later. It affects who our friends are. The fear of the Lord affects how we relate to the body of Christ, the church. The fear of the Lord affects how we handle our money, as Pastor Robert talked about a moment ago. The fear of the Lord helps us in how we love both people inside and outside the church, both those who are brothers and sisters in Christ and even enemies. The fear of the Lord helps us persevere in the faith, because if nothing is important and nothing is a big deal and nothing is serious when God isn't holy and serious about holiness, then we just won't, we won't care. But when we understand that God is serious about holiness, that he is serious about protecting you, that he is serious about you living in the safety of his presence, then you realize all these things that we seemingly can just be very flippant about 
matter. So the fear of the Lord, what does it help us do? It helps us make wise decisions as it relates to our friends, our money, our church, our career, our parenting, our marriage, and everything else in between. It's wisdom. One simple reason that we don't have a proper fear of the Lord is that we believe and hold on to the fact that God is love and we just kind of end it there in God is love. That is his name. But here's what we need to understand. At the same time, he is love. He is also to be feared. And he is a incredibly immense, big, awesome, I can't even, all the adjectives that I could think of can't even describe him. He is to us the, the one that we are to both love and to fear. So we consider God, here's the problem, right? We consider the God of the Old Testament, the God of judgment, the God of laws, the God of wrath, and then the God of the New Testament, right, is all of a sudden, whoo, thank goodness, the New Testament God is a God of forgiveness and love, so let's just do away with the Old Testament's God, and we just want the New Testament God. But here's the problem, theological Logically speaking, to subdivide God into two different personalities corresponding with two different testaments is incongruent with the character of God. It's heretical and it's not orthodox Christianity. God is who God is all the time. God's not like me. He's not like you. There's grumpy Brent and there's happy Brent. There's reserved Brent and there's obnoxious, boisterous Brent. There's stingy Brent, and there's generous Brent. Thankfully, there is no such shifting or change in God. There's no such compartmentalization of his bad character and his good character. There's no separation in him. He is one. He is I am. He is the triune God from beginning to the end. He's the alpha and the omega. God is all of who he is at all times for all time. He does not change. He is transcendent and near all at the same time. He is loving and just all at the same time. He is patient and jealous all at the same time. He is kind and an all-consuming fire all at the same time. To be loved wholeheartedly and feared simultaneously, that is who our God is. And I think the reason we don't understand the fear of the Lord is because we truly don't understand the love of God. And this doesn't mean that we will ever completely grasp all of it. This isn't like to make us feel like, well, I'll never figure. No, it's just that we would continue to seek him with all of our heart and understanding that God is all of these things, that he is not like us. He's not like a man. He's not like a woman. He's different. So let's talk about the fear of the Lord a little bit before we land this plane. Since it's necessary for hearing and heeding godly instruction, reading and applying the word of God, particularly the book of Proverbs, which we're talking about, let's just look at what that means. Because if you remember earlier, I said a metaphor or an analogy that I might use to describe the fear of the Lord is going to fall woefully short. But I mentioned running away from a fierce animal, particularly maybe even a domesticated strange dog. And I think that is part of the problem that we've tried to domesticate God to make him more like us. And he's not. But if we think about this strange dog like those Doberman pinchers in my neighborhood, running away will probably get the dog to respond by chasing you down, barking, growling, possibly even biting you. But if you remain still, everything calms down. If you'll just stand 
in the presence of the Lord. If you would just remain still, right, make friends, and then just begin to walk with the dog alongside you, you'll probably have, as we like to say, a best friend. Like I told my dog yesterday, you're my best friend. That's kind of, it is kind of sad. But it was, it was a little bit of a joke. Carla's my best friend. <laughs> How many awes can I get today? That's a two all morning. In some similar way, it's dangerous to run away from God. We should be terrified to run away from a holy God. Conversely, if we would remain still, befriend him as our Savior and Lord, and then walk with him every day, guess what? His growl or bark is now for your protection and not for your destruction. You have a friend who's willing to defend you in every way, and he already proved that by laying his life down for you. That's why we think about the lion of the tribe of Judah, right? I don't know about you, but when a lion, have you, if you've ever heard a lion roar, and I have, it's terrifying. Like, it just makes the hair stand up on the back of your neck. The roar that comes from a lion and that we talk about and make that comparison to, to Jesus, to our God as a lion, particularly the lion of the tribe of Judah, that, that when he roars, he's, he's not domesticated. It's the old C.S. Lewis, right? Talking about Aslan. He's safe, isn't he? Safe. Who said anything about safe? But he is good. God is good. But because this is hard to comprehend, we are afraid of the fear of the Lord. We're afraid that it's not going to come across or that it's going to sound controlling or manipulative. And consequently, we continue to do foolish things as Christians. We'd rather focus on motivating people through positive emotions and love and gratitude. And that's great. But we never use the fear of the Lord to motivate conversion or growth in holiness. And such fear of fear comes at a cost. Because Proverbs tells us we operate without wisdom in the church. We operate without wisdom as Christians if we don't have the fear of the Lord. We do foolish things as Christians and tell others the Lord showed us this or told us that because we have no fear of the Lord. How do we so flippantly ascribe error and injustice and sin to God? No fear. And we probably would wear the shirt, no fear. So typically the fear of the Lord scriptures either get ignored because I don't know how to explain it or abused because I want to use it for my own gain. And if something has ever been told to you like this, like you should, you should never experience any emotional discomfort when contemplating God's holiness, justice, and judgment. If somebody's ever said that, they've misled you at best and lied to you at worst. Maybe you've heard the fear of the Lord is always understood to mean respect and awe, and that's it. But it never indicates that we should actually be afraid of God. Really? I don't know, but every time God showed up as an angel or anything else, you know the first thing that they said to them? Don't be afraid. I'm assuming that meant they were afraid. And, and, if, and if this is the case, right, then what do you do with all of the warnings that John wrote to the book, in the book of Revelation to all of the churches? And if you read the, the church of Thyatira and the church of, of Ephesus and the church at Corinth, and he's writing all of these warnings, what do you do with those? Because John did not follow up on these warnings and threats by assuring his hearers that they didn't really apply or they weren't really severe 
or maybe that it, God didn't mean what God said that he meant. He doesn't seem worried about the tension or the potential emotional discomfort that fear produces and that they're necessary actually to wake up the Christian to cause us to be motivated to repentance, perseverance, and faithfulness that we would no longer choose our own path which we're walking down and is broad but we would choose this path that is a little bit more narrow but it's the wisdom of God. So how do we reconcile the biblical use of fear and its appeals and threats and warnings with our widespread cultural conviction that we should ignore and reject this archaic version of God? Think about how warnings and threats are appropriate in our life even today in the right context with the right authority that a a boss threatens your termination if you steal money from the company. It's a warning. You steal, you're terminated. Or an academic dean can threaten a student with expulsion for plagiarism. Or some sort of judge can threaten a fine or jail time if you have some sort of legal infraction. And the legitimacy of that threat depends upon the context and whether the one who is making that warning has the legitimate authority to follow through with it. Who has the utmost and total authority over all things for all time? God. He's sovereign over all, which means that he has all authority over all things in heaven and in earth, the scripture says. He's the ultimate legitimate authority over all things. And since he is our creator and we are the created, we belong to him and he has every right to command, to warn, and to judge. And the reality is, of course, that's offensive and contrary to the idea that we, me, that I have the ultimate and final say about my life. It conflicts with human autonomy. No, I'm going to do what I want to do. We want to be in charge. We want to determine for ourselves of what we should do and what we shouldn't do. But such aspirations do not align with the reality of what God's Word teaches us or even our human capacity to make these kind of decisions. We will always fail when we try to play God. Our earthly wisdom will fall woefully short and lead us down a path of unrighteousness instead of following God's wisdom, which will lead us down a path of righteousness and human flourishing in every way. Somebody sent me a meme after the first verse, which is always fun. You know, the, the little uh, saying is, people be like, only God can judge me. I be like, that should scare you. <laughs> and that's the truth, that apart from Christ, That apart from being clothed in the righteousness of Christ, the judgment of God is terrifying. But clothed in his righteousness, I can walk in the fear of the Lord and the love of God all at the same time, which because he so unconditionally and immensely loves you and I, that he would lead us because of the fear of the Lord that I would not choose to walk away from him, but I would choose to walk with him. And if you think about going all the way back to the very beginning, right? We go all the way back to the very beginning, and at the very beginning, there was a whole lot of opportunity for yes and only one opportunity for no. All of this you can eat from. All of this you can do. All of this you can say, yes, God, I trust you. And there's only one thing in all of the world that you can say no to the Lord to. And what do we choose? The one no over the thousands upon thousands of yeses. And you know what that did? It led us to a path today where the narrow road is the yes road. And the broad path 
is the no road. That's not how God intended it to be, my friends. Is that the yes would be the broad path. But again, we have a hard time with this because our earthly examples can also cloud our understanding. Even legitimate authority here can do it wrong, right? It can be abused, it can be inappropriate, it can be cruel with their use of threats or warnings or judgments. But at this point, it's the character and the intentions of the one, one who's doing the warning, the one who's doing the judging that becomes very important. Because we can ask ourselves this question as it relates to God. Is the threatener cruel, vindictive, subjective, showing favoritism, or are they loving caring merciful and kind because that's who God is or what is the purpose of the threat or the warning is it to humiliate manipulate and harm or is it meant to lead us into well-being to protect us to heal us to give us wholeness and flourishing because that's God's purpose God's love for us in our brokenness and our sin is a major theme throughout the Bible. And while we were still weak, the scripture says, while we were still sinners, God demonstrated his love for us and sent his son Jesus to die on our behalf. God's love for rebellious and broken humanity motivated him to send his son to rescue us. So God intends for his warnings and his threats to motivate us to repentance, perseverance, and growth in holiness. This is the way to peace and wholeness and human flourishing. Then we reject and say no to sin and pursuit of holiness leads us to increasingly free and and a life that is free from debilitating sin. The point of Proverbs then is that you see this again and again. Do this and here's a warning what's going to happen. Or do this and here's the blessing that's going to happen. The path of God or the path of me. Now there are some aspects and that's I'll be done. There are some aspects of the fear of the Lord. Maybe some of your scriptures are like I thought the the scripture says there's, there's no love in or there's no fear in love. And that's true. There are aspects of fear that we are to be rid of in fearing God even. And then there's some that we don't want to be rid of. First John describes the kind of fear of God that we should be done with completely if we belong to him through Jesus Christ. It says this, there is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. This fear that we're talking about is a fear of God's judgment, which I just said a moment ago. We should be afraid of that apart from Christ. We should all fear God's righteous and loving judgment if we are not clothed in the righteousness of Christ. So if we could get to the point of perfect love, this is what the scripture's saying, we wouldn't fear God's rejection of us. We wouldn't fear God's judgment of us. We would be utterly content in his acceptance of us. We can be done with cowering in fear that he might not uh, love us or reject us, that we can enjoy his care. We can be adopted into his family as sons and daughters, and then we can live with him both now and forevermore as our heavenly father. We can be done with that fear. He loves us. But the other aspect of fear is the one we should keep and enjoy. And yes, I said enjoy. Nehemiah 1.11. Oh Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name. I want you to see that. Delight to fear your name. So this is the kind of fear that doesn't drive us away. It draws us in. Or Isaiah 11.2, talking about Jesus. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding. The spirit of counsel and might. The spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight, Jesus' delight, shall be in the fear of the Lord. So what we see in this passage is that Jesus enjoyed the fear of the Lord. And so should we. 
Fearing God includes obeying his commandments because of faith that the Lord will keep his threats and warnings against those who walk foolishly and do not obey his word. God's not like a bad parent who never follows through with their warnings. Hello? You do that again, I'm gonna send you to your room. You do that again, I'm gonna send you to your room. You do that again, I'm gonna send you to your room. You do that. It's like you're, you're stuck in an infinite loop. You never say, okay, that's it. I'm gonna send you to your room. Okay, that's it. That's not God. What he says is going to happen when we don't follow him is true. It's not an empty warning. So let's continue this juxtaposition in our lives. A godly fear versus an earthly fear. And Proverbs, along with the whole of Scripture, highlight the two different kinds of fears. It's the fear of the Lord or the fear of man or the fear of everything else. And as we said, only one is wise. The wrong kind of fear is about our desire to control the world around us. It's the fear of losing what's important to us, whether it be our family, our reputation, our job, our health, or our lives. Do I fear the Lord more than I fear losing all of that? And that kind of fear pulls us away from God. It tells us that we're on our own and there's nobody who cares about us. It tells us that God's not really concerned about us. It makes mountains and giants out of what we fear, mountains that won't move and giants that can't be defeated, and that's not God. When it comes to this kind of fear, the Bible says we should abandon that kind of fear. Do not fear. Like he said, I am with you always to the end of the age. Do not be afraid. That kind of fear that he's not with us, that he doesn't care, that he's not protecting us, that he's not loving us, be done with that. But the fear of the Lord that we're supposed to have that Proverbs describes and Psalm and other books, this is the good godly fear that crushes all the other fears and it brings wisdom and joy and rest and peace and life. It's a holy fear. Whoever fears the Lord has a secure fortress and for their children it will be a refuge. Proverbs 14, 26. The fear of the Lord leads to life, and he who has it rests satisfied. Proverbs 19, 23. Praise the Lord. How joyful are those who fear the Lord and delight in obeying his commands. Psalm 112, 1. Somewhere I know we have those, but you can find them in your Bible. To fear is to be like the disciples who feared God when the waves were around them and they were gonna die and Jesus just stands up after a little nap and goes, you know what? Peace be still. And the scripture says they were filled with great fear and they said to one another, who then is this that even the winds and the waves obey him? He's awesome. Who is this? They were filled with great fear and guess what? They've been walking side by side with him. This kind of fear is to grasp the wonder of the gospel that a holy and righteous God would take on flesh and enter into our sin-stained world and rescue us from death. To be utterly blown away that because of Jesus we're the children of God now and we can go freely on a Sunday morning or any time during the day before the throne of grace with complete confidence and without shame is to see his work in our lives and to be amazed at how he loves and provides and cares for us on the daily. I don't want to fear that grips me and paralyzes me and controls me. That's foolish. What's wise is to have a fear that turns and runs into God, finding shelter and safety in him because he's loving and to be feared. I want a fear that trusts God in the middle of every storm and stands in awe of his amazing power. It's like standing at the edge. Have you ever stood at the edge of the ocean at night? 
I don't know about you, but I don't just stand there and go, <laughs> it, it, it's, it's actually terrifying. And then if there's any kind of storm that's moving in, you get a little more scared. And it's not that, that I probably couldn't get in the house and be safe and find shelter. It's just that, man, just the immensity and the awesomeness and the, the infiniteness of the horizon is just, oh, it, 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 I'm awestruck. There's a healthy fear of this amazing ocean, just like there's a healthy fear of an immense God. I want a fear that lets go of everything that I want to control out of the wrong kind of fear and trust God to be everything that I need. I want a right kind of fear, the kind that chases away all the other fears. I want the fear of the Lord that causes me to walk with him like a true companion and not run from him like a tyrannical taskmaster. I want the fear of the Lord that causes me to stay close to him and find safety from every other fear that wants to harm me. And that's what we find in Christ. That's what we find in our relationship with the Lord. We become too accustomed to not being fearful of what we should be fearful of. Proverbs says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And proper fear of the Lord fosters an unshakable faith. We don't have the scripture, but I do want to read it. God just showed it to me this week. And it says this in Psalm 119, 32. I run in the path of your commands, for you have broadened my understanding. Remember what I said about the narrow path and the broad path? We started with a lot of yeses and one no, and now we got a ton of no's, and the yes road seems very thin. But the Bible says in Psalms that if we would actually run in the path of his commands, like you, maybe you start walking. That's what we do. We all start by walking. We don't just start by running. But as we continue to walk in the wisdom and righteousness of God, that all of a sudden the path begins to broaden in our life. It's, it's less about the no's, and it's more about the yeses to God. Matter of fact, the no's that I used to struggle with, I don't even think about anymore because of all the yeses to God that I've been able to, by his grace, walk in. And all of a sudden, he's broadened my understanding and he's broadened my path so I can run with him. So I can run and not be weary. God's going to do that for us, church, if we continue to walk in the fear of the Lord, understanding that everything that he has done for us is because of his great love for us that we would grow in understanding that our paths would be broadened, the path of righteousness, and that we could lead others to that place of wisdom and righteousness as well. You have been listening to the In Focus Church podcast. We hope God met you right where you're at today. Be sure to like, subscribe, and leave a rating wherever you're listening from, and visit infocuschurch.org for more on all that's going on in the life of our church.